Welcome to GC Live in the speaking engagements of apologist, trainer, and pastor, Travis Marshall. We hope that you will be challenged by what you hear. Take a fresh look at the world around you and experience the God who loves you. Let's join Travis as he speaks to a live audience. Okay, so we talked about uh, the extra biblical writers and historians and satirists of that time. We talked about what, uh, just a quick snippet of what other world religions believe about uh, Jesus. Next is I want to go ahead and move forward to Messianic prophecy and, and the probability of it. Now, I did this in the first service. I'm going to do it in here again. Again, there's no shame one way or the other. No answer is wrong. But I want to see a show of hands so I can kind of know how much I need to explain. How many of you have heard the phrase or the term messianic prophecy? Go ahead and lift up your hands. Okay, good. So there's a good portion of you that have it. That's fine. That's good. I'm actually, that gets me excited because it's like fresh for a lot of us. By the way, those of you that raise up your hands, I hope you got to give a little peek at the rest of the crowd that don't know. Here's why. Not to shame. No, 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 not at all. Because the harvest is plentiful. Because there's knowledge and experience that need to be passed on. And there needs to be opportunities made for that. Thank God we have one this morning, and I'm excited about that. So we're going to talk about Messianic prophecy. Okay, what is it? Messianic prophecy is simply this. As you look through the Old Testament, that's Genesis through uh, Malachi. I almost said Revelation. That's Genesis through Malachi. That's the Old Testament and everything in between. It's referred to as the Law and the Prophets. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, so forth and so on to Malachi. Y'all want to see if I know how to do it. I'm not going to do it. I don't know. I might miss one. <laughs> Just in case. I'm not going to shame myself. But the whole Old Testament, there's over 300 different, 300. Everybody say 300. There are 300 different prophecies of this Messiah to come. Now, here's what I want you to, to really check in with in the power of Messianic prophecy. Every one of these were written anywhere from four or 500 years before Jesus ever set foot on the planet in earthly human form, before he was ever born of a virgin, okay? Anywhere from four to 500 years before to a couple of thousand years or more before. That's, I, I cannot overstate how important it is that you get that point there before we go any further. When we're talking about messianic prophecy, it's, it's these things that are being spoken of this Messiah, who Jesus is. It was being spoken of him centuries before Jesus ever set foot on this planet. It's a powerful, powerful thing. I'm not talking about some Nostradamus stuff. I'm talking about some real prophecies. In fact, if you were a prophet at that time in Israel and your prophecies weren't 100% accurate, you were stoned to death. If you predicted something as a prophet and the opposite came true or something you know, came, it, it went a different way, you were stoned to death immediately. That's how serious it was. It wasn't tarot cards and all that kind of mess. All right, It was very specific prophecies about this Messiah that was to come. And so we're going to talk about a few of these. But before we do, I want to go ahead and hit in John 5, 39. This is what Jesus says to the religious leaders of his day. He says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But these scriptures, they point to me. From Genesis through Malachi, the law, the prophets, all of it, it points to me. 
all these seven feasts and all these different laws and all these different things and, and, and the things that Daniel said and Isaiah said and Zechariah, all these guys, they were talking about me. That was a claim, by the way. By the way, that was the claim that got him killed. That was the one that put him on the cross. There are some that say that Jesus never really claimed divinity, and we don't have time to really unpack that. But if he never really claimed divinity, why in the world did they need to crucify him? Or feel that they, why did they want to crucify him? He was making a God, a divine claim. But he was telling these religious leaders, he said, all that stuff you've been reading, by the way, when he says you search the scriptures, he was only referring to Old Testament because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. Okay, everybody with me? So I want to make sure that's very clear. So he says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. We say it this way, the Old Testament is Jesus concealed, and the New Testament is Jesus revealed. Make sense? Okay. So what's important to remember about these prophecies is that there's over 300, and, um, and as we're looking at these, uh, again, they're, they're with any, anywhere from centuries to over a couple of minute, millennia before Jesus was ever even born. So we're going to actually pull this study of, of probability and uh, of one man fulfilling all of these prophecies. And actually, you know what? We're not even going to do all 300. Right? Aren't you? Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> That's funny. I didn't realize how funny that was until I said it. Y'all are great. We're going to take eight. How about that? Can you give me eight? And I'm not even going to unpack all these. I'm going to give you a little bit of homework for those of y'all that are interested in this. But we're only going to take eight. And we're actually going to use, we're actually going to use a, a book called Science Speaks. It was written uh, uh, back, in, back in the 50s, back in the 1950s by Dr. Peter Stoner. Um, and he was, he was attempting to answer this one question. What would the statistical probability be that one man that one man and how many men would fulfill this prophecy. So he took these eight, you can go ahead and cue those up there. Uh, one being, being born in Bethlehem, that was in Micah 5.2. Feel free to take screenshots or write this down. Read this on your own, okay? Again, these were written hundreds to thousands of years before Jesus was ever born. Can't stress that enough. They, they actually predicted where he was going to be born. That's in Micah 5.2, you can read it. Um, Malachi 3, 1 talks about a forerunner that's sent before him. That's John the Baptist. Um, Zechariah 9, 9, it talks about a king coming in on a donkey. That was uh, very specific, uh, very interesting that, 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 that a prophet would ever attempt to try to predict something of that nature. Zechariah 13, 6, it talked about wounds in his hands. And I, I think that's very interesting. Number five, it talks about he was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. That's in Zechariah 11 and 12. And the very next uh, verse, which is even more remarkable, is what would be done with the blood money. I mean, that was predicted, again, hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And then in Isaiah 53, it talks about how he would offer no defense. This was an innocent man, right? But he offered no, no personal defense, no personal legal defense, for himself, And then in Psalm twenty-two, sixteen, 16, it talks about uh, his crucifixion, which is interesting because crucifixion hadn't yet been invented. Hmm. How about that? I would challenge you to read uh, where you're seeing in Zechariah, you're seeing quite a few. If you would, if you would read those passages in Zechariah, all of them, but uh, th those in Zechariah, Isaiah, the last few verses in 52 
all the way through 53, it will almost blow your mind. It looks like somebody is literally writing it down after Jesus, you know, had, had existed, after Jesus was born, uh, after his ministry, after he died, buried, and rose again. It looks like it's after the fact, but you have to remember that when it comes to Isaiah in this, in this passage, that it was written hundreds of years and you say, okay, well, what's your proof? Well, thank God, 1948, there was something, uh, there's an area called the Qumran Caves. And when you see the Dead Sea Scrolls, one of those scrolls just happened to be Isaiah. That was a full scroll of Isaiah. What's, what does that matter? Well, what's very interesting is that was a copy, yes, granted, but that was a copy that was produced that was dated to by every uh, historian, every archaeologist that's ever studied it, the most, uh, somewhere, let's just say somewhere between the most conservative and most liberal dates, was 300 years before Jesus set foot on this planet. So we've got empirical proof that this messianic prophecy existed. But I would challenge you to read Isaiah, uh, last part of 52, 53, Psalm 22. It reads like somebody's right there just watching it happen. It's so specific and so amazing. So what I want to do is go ahead and set up this this video that I'm going to show you because when it comes to math, statistics, and probability, my eyes glaze over. And I dare not try to explain it to you. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring somebody in by way of video. This man's name is Chuck Missler. He's actually going to pull from uh, this example of Dr. Stoner's, and he's going to talk a little bit about this. I love it because he has a background in information uh, sciences, and so he is far more equipped than I to deal with the probability of this. Chrissy? Is what's the probability of a particular person in history fulfilling all eight of these? We've got get a rough guess for each one individually, okay. What's the chance of a particular person fulfilling all eight? First of all, if we were teaching statistics in school, and I say I, I want to get across the concept of one chance in a hundred, what do I mean by that? What I would probably do is have a bucket here with, say, a hundred silver dollars in it. I'll take one of the silver dollars and put some... Um, nail polish on it or something, and then I'd mix the, the hundred so dollars up in such a way that it's thoroughly mixed, and I reach in there, and the chance of my arbitrarily picking one that has the, the nail polish is one in a hundred. That gets across what we mean by one in a hundred as a random probability. Now, what I want to do to get across how rare those eight prophecies are, is I want to get a bucket of silver dollars, okay? I want to mark one of them, and, but I need a bucket that will hold 10 to the 17th silver dollars. How many is that? That's a pretty big bucket. In fact, if I take the entire state of Texas and fill it with silver dollars two feet deep, I'll have approximately 10 to the 17th silver dollars. And so what we do is we mark one of them, and we mix them up so it has an equal chance of being anywhere, and we send one of you down into Texas, blindfolded, to reach down, and your chance of picking the one we marked is one chance in 10 to the 17th. That's pretty rare, isn't it? But we've only used eight of these so far. That's, we have 300 to choose from. Okay, 
I'm going to do this only one more time. Instead of doubling, I'm going to triple it. We doubled it from 8 to 16. Now we'll triple it from 6 to, to 48. I, got 300, I still have 300 to choose from. I got plenty to choose from. Again, I'm going to indulge in this fiction that the next group is not going to be more specific than the previous one. They're going to be actually far more technical, more narrow, but let's forget that. Now I have six times, that, well, 10, 10, 10 to the 28th times, all the way through. I now have 10 to the 168th power, and I got to subtract my 10 to the 11th out of that. Silver dollars won't work anymore. As I struggle to find a model here, now, uh, there's a number of us that use this approach. It was originally popularized by Peter Stoner in his book, Science Speaks, many, many years ago. Silver dollars won't work here. I've got to think of another way to get across to you how big is 10 to the 157th power. Well, I'm going to make a ball of the smallest thing I can imagine, which is what, an atom? You probably have no grasp of how small an atom is, but it's probably the smallest thing as we can talk about. And um, I'm going to make a ball of every atom in the universe. Now, it may surprise you to discover there's a widely accepted guess by scientists there's about 10 to the 66th atoms in the entire universe. Oh, really? Okay, well, then uh, I'm a long way from 10 to the 157th. If I imagine such a ball, I'm only at 10 to the 66th. Okay, I'll make such a ball for every atom in the universe. In other words, I'll do this 10 to the 66 times. Well, that's trying to promise. Now I'm up to 10 to the, uh, to the 132nd. I'm still a long way from 10 to the 157th. Suppose I do this exercise every second since the universe began. I'm going to repeat this exercise every second since the universe began. That gets me up to 10 to the 149. I'm still short of 10 to the 157. How much am I short? I'm short by 10 to the 8th. I have to do this 100 million times. This number is beyond our imagining. Stretches, stretch our imaginations as we might quantitatively, using every quantitative technique you can think of, there's no way you can get your mind around the probability of those 48 prophecies. And we've only dealt with 48 out of 300. What's the point of all of this? I am more certain that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah than I am of any other fact in the universe. I know of no other fact in the universe that I can be that certain of. I'm certain, that's certain. And I've got quantitative evidence to prove it. Amen. Is that amazing or is that amazing? I love that you don't have to check your brain at the door to be a Christian. I love that not only can we compete in the world of ideas, but we, we can win resoundingly. All we have to do is a little bit of homework. All we have to do is study to show ourselves approved. As scripture tells us, I love that God didn't leave us hanging to try to figure this stuff out, but he made it so, so accessible. You know, in Psalms, it tells us that it's the glory of God to conceal a thing. and It's the glory of kings to, re, to reveal it, to, to, to make it known. And this is the opportunity that's before us and before our generation that we can pass on the things that we learn, the things that we experience Every single one of these uh, examples that we use today leaves us back at the same point. 
it leaves us back at the same point. We have to make an account for who Jesus is. We have to make some sort of decision. I just want to offer a few final thoughts. C.S. Lewis uh, gives us a great example from years past. For those of y'all that may not be familiar with the name, maybe you've heard of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe or The Chronicles of Narnia. They've been made into movies recently, but they've been books for decades. He said something in the area of, of Jesus that I think really puts a capstone on what we've talked about today. See, we pulled from the ex, these extra biblical writers, these satirists, these historians, and the like. We pulled from other world religions. And what we've learned is that everybody has to make a decision about who this Jesus is. See, when we read through what you know the Muslims and the Hindus and the Buddhists and the Baha'is say about Jesus, that they, they all had uh, you know a few different things in common. One was that he was this wise, moral teacher of, of, of many other similar things, but that was one. But C.S. Lewis argues it in this way, that if Jesus knew he wasn't God, yet taught that he was, and received worship as if he was, then he's a liar. If he knew he wasn't, but acted as if he was, he's a liar. What kind of a good moral teacher does that? Then he moves on and he says, but if this Jesus thought he was God, but just had some sort of psychological break from reality, he was crazy. He thought he was God, but he wasn't. That makes him a lunatic. And that doesn't sound like a wise teacher that I want to be following. But if this Jesus is who he said he is, if he is the way, the truth, the life, if he's the one where with every other name, every, every other, everything that's ever been built or created, bows down to his name, if he's the one that's from the beginning to end, if he's the one that we have to reconcile our hearts, our minds, our will, our decisions with, then he's Lord. He's Lord of all. Amen. That's good. I'm going to ask everybody to go ahead and stand up at this time. We're going to have an opportunity here at the end to, um, at the altar, in your seats, wherever you feel comfortable. We're going to have an opportunity here to pray, here to partake and be a part of the worship. But before we do, call to your account the challenge that Jesus gave his disciples in Matthew 16. They're all talking, having a good time, that some, some great things had just happened. He's, they're all just kind of sitting down, breaking bread and enjoying some chilies appetizers or something. I don't know. Just hanging out. And Jesus just kind of stops everybody. He says, hey guys, uh, 
This is a newer translation. He says, hey guys, <laughs> who do other people say that I am? Like you've been hearing all the commotion, all the rumors about me. Who, who do others say that I am? And this is what we've examined today is just that one aspect. The extra biblical writers, the ones that were not only antithetical, but in opposition to Christianity. We've, this is what we've been talking about as we examine for a few moments what other world religions said. It's what the others said about him. This world has a lot to say about Jesus. Everybody has an opinion about Jesus. So he says, who do others say that I am? And they go on for a few minutes. He says, okay, okay, that's good, that's good, that's good. Let me get to my real point here. Who do you, who do you say that I am? We all have to give an account in our lives for who we said Jesus is. He is the pivot point. He is the fulcrum on which your destiny is built. Now I love that he said, I'm not willing that any should perish. I want all of you to come to me. I'm gonna provide such an easy way. All you gotta do is say yes and learn about me and let me experience you and you experience me. He's saying all you've gotta do is build a relationship with me and I've got your eternity covered. I've got your eternity covered. So who do you say that Jesus is? Thank you for joining us for today's episode of GC Live, a live recording experience of Grilled Christian Podcast. You can connect with us by going to our website, www.grilledchristian.com. From there, you can like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, watch our YouTube channel, read our blog, and listen to all our audio podcasts. We believe in engaging our culture through conversation towards Christ.